Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. So grab your Bibles, if you don't mind, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. Let me say this right off the top. There's no altar call today for obvious reasons. You'll figure it out as we go along. Um, if you need to respond to specific issues or that is raised by today's message, you can email me. You can use a connection card and get in touch with me however you want to. But there's my email address on the screens. So if you need to, if you need some help regarding any of the issues that we're going to talk about today, uh, advice, direction, whatever, um, please feel free to let me or just prayer about it uh, as you try to bring your life under surrender to Christ in every area. Then you just email me and, and we'll pray. Okay, so that's the that's the plan for today. First Corinthians chapter six. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. Everybody okay? Y'all breathing? Have I scared you to death? Don't, don't be a scared. That's probably in the Bible somewhere. All right. Verse 18, run from sexual sin. Notice it does not say uh, just walk away. Just say no. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word today. Lord, I thank you because there have been so many prayers prayed over this service today. I thank you that that pride or arrogance or stubbornness or offense or resistance is gone. And what's been loosed in this house is humility and peace, submission to your word. I thank you, Lord, that revelation is going to lead to repentance life change to a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I just pray that you would anoint the words of my mouth, anoint the ears that hear it, and I pray that you, that you would help all of us to surrender and not just be hearers of your word, but doers in every area that it is appropriate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We live in what has to be the most sexualized and sex-saturated generation in history. From video games to commercials to advertising to entertainment to just trying to walk down the street. Sexual messaging and content is everywhere. And the attitudes of people towards sex and sexuality are very different than they were even a generation or two ago. More concerning to me as a pastor 
is that the attitudes of people in the church have changed maybe the most. There's virtually no difference in what we believe about sex and sexuality in the American church as compared to what we believe about it in the culture at large. We have lost the clear biblical foundation of truth about sex. I started in ministry, in pastoral ministry, as a youth pastor in 1992. I came through the height of the purity movement, the why wait kind of stuff, okay? Y'all remember that? Um, We talked about sex a lot in youth group, uh, although it was heavily slanted towards the young ladies. We didn't ask much of our boys, and, and I, I kid you not, as a child growing up in the 70s and 80s in the church, from what I could tell, what I learned in the, in the church is that if you could just stay strong until you got married, you'd never have to worry about sexual temptations again. As Maury Povich used to say, turns out that was a lie. What, when you layer in what seemed like the really... Uh, the really sudden rise of the LGBTQ community into the mainstream of culture, it became clear that we had failed this generation in conveying biblical truth in a way that was both full of truth and grace. So I knew, in, in, in my spirit, I knew that I was going to have to address this really nuanced, sensitive and complex issue. So I began praying about the issue months ago, praying about this message months ago, maybe even a year ago, and I felt like I needed to do it at the beginning of this year. And when the Lord, when I sort of fell into what the Lord was showing me about the surrender series, then I realized that this is the context that he, that he wanted me to present it in. We've been talking for a little while uh, about surrender in all the ways that it affects the life of the follower of Jesus. Following Jesus means surrendering yourself to him. It means becoming more like him. It means adopting his character and his nature. This opening scripture makes it clear that when we surrender our lives to him, we no longer belong to ourselves. We are temples, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit, and we have to carry ourselves in such a way as to honor God. We quote this passage all the time. I grew up hearing about this in church all the time. But what we usually fail to mention is the true context of this passage is about sexual integrity. For followers of Jesus, there is no area of our lives that's off limits to him. There's no area that we get to say, Jesus, now that ain't none of your business. That's just, that's not a thing. God has a lot to say about sexuality, and he absolutely expects us to align ourselves with his will, even in the most sensitive and personal and private areas of our lives. In the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, which is where we just read from, he spent at least three chapters, chapters five, six, and seven, discussing their sexual attitudes and behaviors. I'm afraid this message might just tear the roof off this place this morning. If worship didn't do it, we're still on track. We're going to be okay. Um, our, our opening scripture is, is right in the middle of that conversation with the Corinthians about their sexual attitudes and their behaviors. 
the, the Corinthians had gotten saved, but you couldn't tell it by looking at their attitudes about sex and sexuality. Paul started the conversation in chapter 5. You should read this. It's at least entertaining, if not informative. He started the conversation by addressing this one guy in the church who was not only having sex with his stepmother. I'm just going to let that one, yeah. But he was bragging about it. Like the whole church was kind of proud of it. The Greek word, I looked this up, the Greek word for this is, ooh. That's spelled E-E-E-E. W-W-W. Um, Paul wrote a letter to them. He's like, what in the world are y'all doing? He said, heathens don't even do this. Like, this is not even a thing among the heathens. What are, what are you, why are you so proud of this? If you're surrendered to Jesus, the, the, the conversation was clear. The point was clear. If you're surrendered to Jesus, there should be a difference in how you behave, even sexually. And then he goes through the end of chapter 7, goes through all three chapters, talking about how to walk in surrender to Jesus in the area of sexuality. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God created us as human beings with physical desires and with spiritual purposes. Those things were perfectly aligned until sin came on the scene. And when sin came on the scene, it changed things. Our carnal desires betray our spiritual purpose. You're never going to get to your spiritual purpose if you just do what feels right. In other words, what we want is not necessarily what God wants for us. Surrendering to Jesus restores our spiritual purpose, but our carnal desires are still at odds with that purpose. What we want to do and what we're called to do are two different things. And we have to bring our wants and desires under the authority of Christ so we can accomplish our spiritual purpose. That's in every area. We we are sexual beings, but our spiritual purpose mandates how we get to express those desires. There are godly principles at play. We cannot just be ruled by our desires and our passions and our urges and our inclinations. So let me make one thing as clear as possible. God only gave us one way to express ourselves sexually. And that is one man and one woman joined together in covenant marriage. That's it. Everything else outside of that is sin. It's just what the book says. I didn't make this up. I'm just telling you what the book says. But we still have these carnal desires, don't we? We still, we still want to push back against that standard, and we certainly have in our culture. We have people, people want to have sex and not be married. People want to have sex with people outside their marriage. People want to have sex with multiple partners. People want to watch pornography, which is the spiritual and emotional equivalent of having sex with the people on the screen. People want to purchase sex from other people. People want to have sex with members of the same sex or gender. And the list just goes on and on of the, of the ways that we violate this one very clear standard. Please make no mistake. I am not preaching to sinners today. I'm not preaching to sinners. 
Sinners going to sin. Okay? Paul wasn't writing the letter to the Corinthian, to the heathens of Corinthian, uh, of Corinth, but to the to the church of Corinth. I'm preaching to the people who claim the name of Jesus. People who are in churches all over the country today, but whose sexuality has remained off limits to the conviction of the Word of God and the correction of the Holy Spirit of God because the pulpits have fallen silent on the subject. I'm just telling you, a lot of people just don't know because they haven't been told. And I'm not here to call you out. I'm here to call you higher. I'm here to tell you there's a better way. There is a way to live our lives sexually that is pleasing to God and carries with it his blessing and his favor. See, some of you have a clear and compelling call on your life. You know that, but there just seems to be a disconnect. There's just something you just can't seem to get there. You can't, it never seems to be the right time. You never seem to be making progress. You just can't seem to make it happen. It might just be that you've not surrendered yourself in the way you express your sexuality. He wants full control of all of you. And your sexuality is a big part of who you are. Let me read a couple of scriptures in New Testament scriptures. First Timothy 1 says this. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law wasn't intended for people who do what's right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what's holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for sexually those people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do, who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me, the Apostle Paul, by our blessed God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse now we're just reading a few verses up from where we started. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling... a by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our, the spirit of our God. For too long, the American church has ignored these scriptures. We saw some of the errors of the purity movement and we just went completely silent. Instead of correcting course, we abandoned ship. And for the last 10 years or so, the American church has been singularly focused on only one expression of sexual sin, and that's homosexuality. As long as you're straight, you pretty much get a free pass. <laughs> and, and what has come out of the pulpits, even about that issue, has been so full of hatred and venom that the truth of the word gets lost in the whole presentation. So hear me clearly today. Despite what some pastors or churches or entire denominations are teaching, the Bible the New Testament is loud and clear on the issue of homosexuality. 
It is not a secondary issue. It is not just barely mentioned somewhere in the back of the book. It's not an antiquated Old Testament hang-up. Practicing homosexuality is a sin. It cannot be condoned. It cannot be accepted. It cannot be blessed in the body of Christ. It is not okay for anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus to practice homosexuality, period. Hear me just as clearly. It is also not okay for a follower of Jesus to practice any form of sexual sin. Homosexuality was only one of a whole list of things, including adultery and fornication and other sexual sins. Here's where we've gone astray, and here's where the church has lost our spiritual integrity. You can't just condemn one and ignore all the others. We got married preachers railing against homosexuality who got a girlfriend on the side. We got men at anti-LGBTQ rallies waving the Christian flag, stopping at Hooters on the way home. Or the strip club. Or buying a prostitute. And they see no problem. Because as long as you're straight, everything's great. Yes, I know that rhymed. This is why the church is losing credibility in our culture. Our hypocrisy is so glaring to everybody else. It's killing our witness. Nobody listens to us because we sound so stupid. I know this is not popular. I know we don't talk about this in church. I know this is uncomfortable for you to hear. It is no less uncomfortable for me to preach. But our discomfort with it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. And that sexual sin is draining the life and the spiritual power in our churches today. You say, John, listen, what I do in my bedroom is really nobody's business. If it is a sin, it's a victimless sin. Nobody's being harmed. Nobody else is being affected. We're just two consenting adults doing whatever feels right to us. That's just not what the Word says. 1 Corinthians 6 says God cares about our bodies because our bodies are part of Christ. So when we sin against our own bodies, which is what he said sexual sin is, we are forcing Christ to participate in our sin. And indirectly, because we're all part of the same body, what one part does affects all of us. And so although it sounds logical to say it doesn't affect anybody else. The spiritual truth is that one person's spiritual sin affects every other true believer. So if even a small percentage of the body of Christ is engaged in sexual sin, is it any wonder why the church in America is weak and powerless and anemic? Unfortunately, it's not a small percentage. The research shows that about 60% of men sitting in churches every week are viewing pornography on a regular basis. About 25 or 30% of women are viewing it on a regular basis as well. Not to mention those who are sexually active with those that they're dating at the time. Married people flirting with other people. Inappropriate text messages or direct messages being sent. Cohabitating the list goes on of the ways that we violate the one clear principle of Scripture. 
At first glance, there's some encouraging evidence from this generation about the sexual activity of our young people. This generation is having less sex and fewer pregnancies than in years past. And unplanned, fewer unplanned pregnancies, I'm all about it. That is absolutely good news. But the reality is this generation is having just as much or more sex. They just don't have to be in the same room to do it because of technology now. Young people, I know you already tuned me out. Turn me back, turn me back up for just a second. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Sexual sin is not about the position of your body. It's about the position of your heart. So taking off your clothes on Snapchat or FaceTime or whatever platform you happen to be using is no better than doing it face-to-face. Besides the fact that it's illegal and a really bad idea. Because that person that you've been in love with for two weeks in another week and a half is going to hate your guts. And then they've got all the pictures and all the videos and everything that y'all did while you were together. And you already know what airdrop looks like. All the things. I know that only happens to losers and not to you, but that's what the losers thought too. Okay? Jesus made it clear, and you understand what I'm saying. I'm not calling anybody a loser. I'm trying to get into the mind of young people. They're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, right? Bad things only happen to other people. That's just not the way the world works. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 5, sexual sin starts with lust in your heart. Whether it's physical or digital, you are performing the act in your heart and in your mind, even if your bodies are miles away from each other. And it's the same principle about watching pornography. What's happening in your heart and in your mind is identical to what would be happening if you were with that person face to face. It starts in the heart which is why married people flirting or texting or messaging sexual content to people they aren't married to is not okay. It's sexual sin. I've heard it over and over again. Well, at least I'm not cheating on them. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Every road you walk has a destination, and your heart and mind is already there. The timing just hadn't lined up for you yet. The fact that you're only talking is a distinction without a difference. I'm the guy that the spouse calls when they discover the porn and the texts and the phone calls and the pictures. Believe me, the devastation, the violation, the disrespect is real. And long-lasting. You say, John, I've never heard this before. I know. And on behalf of the American church, and whatever part I've played in that as well, I want to apologize to you if you haven't heard this. But it's the truth. I I know it's just what people do these days, but it can't be what the people of God do 
these days. It can't be what Jesus' followers do. We have to come out from among the world and be a separate, different, holy people. It's what Paul was trying to communicate to the Corinthians and the others all throughout the New Testament. We have to be different. We have to be surrendered in every area of our lives if we're going to follow Jesus. When Christians talk about people with same-sex attraction, they are pretty casual and dismissive. They tell them, well, listen, that's just a choice you're making. You need to make a different one. Well, isn't that true of heterosexual people too? Shouldn't we be telling people engaged in any sexual sin to make a different choice? A lot of times people in the LGBTQ community will, will say that they are just naturally attracted to members of the same sex, and they're just doing what feels normal to them. And I know it makes Christian people lose their minds, but but let's think about it for just a second. Do your physical desires always line up with the Word of God? Do you ever, does what you want ever conflict with what God wants for you? Does, Does what you want sexually always line up with what God wants for you sexually? Then why do we insist that they must be wrong. I'm certainly not saying God made them that way. I'm saying it's the wrong argument. Whether it's natural or not, we've all got to prioritize purpose over pleasure. We've got to prioritize destiny over desire. We have to crucify our flesh to follow Jesus. And all of our carnal urges have to be brought under subjection to the will and the purpose of God in our lives. All sexual sins, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, will derail your spiritual purpose. They all separate us from God. And they all have to be surrendered to him. But are you ready for some good news? Nobody wants good news. That's okay. You're getting it anyway. This covers all the arguments. Okay? It covers the whole I was born this way argument. It covers the whole I just can't help myself argument. It covers the whole, well, this is a need that I have to meet argument. Whole thing. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to show it to you in two different versions just so you can just get a little nuance here. Uh, In verse 13, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let's look at it in the the New King James or King James 21st century. For it's God who's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You're going to need to meditate on that all week long because that is a game changer. I know we love Philippians 4.13. We need to love Philippians 2.13 even more. When you surrender your life to Jesus, he gives you the power to change what you want and what you desire. The evolutionists are incorrect. You are not an animal. I understand the biology I'm saying you are not the same as animals. You are not a victim of your nature. You're not a victim of your urges and your cravings or even your habits and your patterns. When you become a follower of Jesus, old things pass away. All things become new. He will even change your desires 
if you will surrender those to him. You have to start making choices that reflect who you are in Christ and not who you've always been, not who the world says you should be. You have to start bringing what you want and what God wants back in line. That's what surrendered looks like in every area. But wait, there's more good news. The passage in 1 Corinthians 6, and we read it, may have gotten lost in all this other conversation, but he says, Paul said, and some of you were like this. Y'all remember that part? He says, some of you were like this, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made righteous by the calling, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and his Holy Spirit. No matter what sexual sins have defined your past or maybe defining your present, they don't have to define your future. This is a spiritual issue, and it has a spiritual solution. Guess what? Gays and lesbians need Jesus. Adulterers and fornicators need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. We are not in a culture war. Turn off Fox News if that's where you're learning it. Turn off all the places that are telling you anything that contradicts this word of God. We are not in a culture war. The people of the LGBTQ community are not our enemies any more than the star quarterback of the high school sleeping with all the other girls in the high school is our enemy. Everybody okay? We don't have any human enemies according to Ephesians chapter 6. We are in a spiritual battle against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness who want everybody in hell. God wants Everybody to come to repentance and surrender to the good news of the gospel. But if the gospel is not strong enough to give us victory over our most base and carnal desires, then how is it good news? How is it that it's going to, we're going to surrender our lives to a gospel that is powerless to change us? Jesus doesn't care if your sexual sin is gay, straight, bi, or confused. He, and if you do anything other than those three, I'm confused, okay? He, he doesn't care if you've been selling your body on OnlyFans. He doesn't care if, you're, if you've been a womanizer or a porn watcher or an adultery. The blood of Jesus washes away all the sin, all of it. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit can deliver you from every behavior and every habit and every hang-up and every sin. He will change your will and your desires and your actions if you'll let Him. Last weekend I watched um, The Jesus Revolution. I don't know if you've seen it. I loved it. I laughed, I cried, I ate popcorn, all the things. Not really, I hate popcorn. Um, I was convicted by it. I was convicted by it. Because these hippies just read the Bible and believed it. And the church went wild. (laughs) 
the only people that told them that they were wrong was the people who were in the church. We, I'm not sure we actually believe what we say we believe. I know we get all righteously indignant about, uh, about all the people who are living in sexual sin that's different than the way we sin sexually. But who's going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to let them come hear the good news for the first time? Who's going to look at them and go, welcome? And don't say brother or sister because you ain't sure. Where do those folks get to hear the gospel? And are we looking at them and going, oh, I don't know about the blood of Jesus about all of that right there. Does it save us from our sins or not? Does it cover all the sins or not? Are we afraid to bring some people to Jesus because we just ain't sure if it's going to cover all of that? I mean, check how we act, not what we say. I mean, check how we act. Check the attitude that we have about people coming to hear the gospel and whether we're afraid that they're going to rub off on us or is the power of the gospel going to overwhelm them with the grace and the love of Jesus and draw them to repentance the way he did us when we were heathens? Do we believe that he has the power to save a drug addict but not a homosexual? Y'all dragging this out of me. I was not planning to do any of this. We have got to check ourselves. There's an incredible opportunity in front of us. I think I can say this, and I think you can understand where it's coming from. I I give all glory and honor to God. Um, Do you know how rare it is for you to be able to walk into a church service and sense what we sensed in this place this morning? Do you know how rare it is to be able to walk into a sanctuary and the hairs on your back of your neck stand up because you realize that we are not just in the presence of humanity but in the presence of deity? Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how special that is? Do you understand the opportunity that we have in front of us? That when somebody whose life has been wrecked by sin wanders into this place, they can tangibly encounter a God who can not just wash away their sin, but change them. And if we believe that, then we will protect what we have. And we will throw the doors open and welcome whosoever will to come and hear the good news of the gospel that saved me and saved you. Whether they look like us, dress like us, talk like us, act like us, smell like us. Do you know what one of the, uh, one of the, the men of the church opposed the hippies about in, in the 70s in this movie? Because they are all barefooted, you know. He said, their bare feet are making this carpet dirty. 
are you, are you for real right now? Pastor just about lost his mind. So you know what the pastor did? He washed the feet of every person that walked in the door the next week. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to get people who need it to the place where they can find it? We have got to check our politics. We've got to check our attitudes. We've got to check all the things and make sure that it lines up with this word right here. So, so John, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do in, in this area of sexuality? You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do in every area of your life. Surrender. Surrender. I mean literally tell God that you want to surrender your sex life and your sexuality to him. God is not going to be embarrassed. And he's not surprised by nothing. You tell him that you want to honor him in every area of your life. You tell him you are committed to bringing your life in line with his word. You repent of your sexual sins and all, of, all the others too. And, and, and then don't fall under condemnation about them. Don't worry about what people are going to think. The grace and love of Jesus is in this house because every one of us has been tempted to sin just like everybody else and every one of us has fallen to those temptations at one point or the other. So you can get the help that you need without the judgment, without the condemnation, without the finger pointing because there's no one righteous, no not one. John, what do I do? Actively pray about God changing your desires and giving you the power and the will to stop living in sexual sin. If you're expressing your sexuality in ways that don't line up with the word of God, stop. If you're single, stop having sex. If you're acting on same-sex attraction, stop. If you're flirting around the office, if you're messaging people online, if you're selling your body parts online, if you're having virtual sex, stop. If you're having sex with somebody who is not your spouse, stop. You say, John, I, I can't stop. It just happens when we get together. Then stop being alone in private places. Say, so, oh, that sounds a little radical. I don't know about all that now. Isn't that a little, a little drastic? Well, it sounded like to me he was pretty serious about this. You say, but yeah, we can't really do that because we're living together. If you're living with someone you're not married to, 1 Corinthians 7 gives you a couple choices. Get married or move out. You say, well, I can't afford to get married. I can't afford a wedding. If you will move out now, Commit your life to doing things biblically. Do premarital counseling with Pastor Robbie and Erica and buy a license. Then this church will give you a wedding. All right? Venue, preacher, flowers, pictures, reception, everything. We've done this before. Anybody around for that? Anybody remember that? Was that not the most fun you can have on a Saturday? We did like four or five weddings in that same day. It was awesome. We were exhausted, completely cross-eyed by the time we got done. 
It was fantastic. If you commit to doing things God's way, we will stand with you and help you. You said, John, I don't know about using people's offerings to do this. Listen, my commitment to you fiscally is and always has been to use the resources of this church to advance the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ and the vision of this church. I can't think of anything that's more real, more relational, or more reaching than this. This is biblical discipleship. Letting the truth, this is biblical repentance. Letting the truth change your actions. If you're addicted to pornography, ask for help. Ask me and I will help you find a support group in the area. I've done this many times. We have owned the rights. Years ago, I purchased the rights to the website, helpmequitporn.net. It is empty, floating around in cyberspace somewhere. Just waiting on the right time, the right people to get in place to help, to help support this. Just three weeks ago, we started a chapter of most, Men Opposing Sex Trafficking. And one of the main thrusts of that organization is to make sure that men are living sexually pure lives. And that means free from porn. So if you'll give me two weeks, we're going to get that, that site loaded up with resources that will help you stop watching porn. And we'll get that live on the internet so that you can, you can see it and share it with whoever you need to. This church is committed to helping you get your life surrendered to Jesus in every area. This is discipleship. Say, John, I don't know. I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know if I can do this. Let me go ahead and settle the issue for you. You cannot do this by yourself. But you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He will give you the power both to will and to do what pleases Him. He will give you the power to change your desires and your actions. But you have to decide it's time to surrender. So, my last question. Are you going to surrender? Are you going to surrender? Y'all stand with me, please. Now do you understand why there ain't an altar call? <laughs> there's no good way to do that. And if, there, and if you're married and there's something going on in your, in your relationship, um, your spouse don't need to find out about it in church. Okay? So don't get mad because the preacher didn't give an altar call today. Oh, I'm giving an altar call. It just ain't going to be here. You need to pray. All right? There, there are steps to take. I've given you some very clear ones. Okay? I'm going to pray over this congregation, over myself. And then, um, I just realized this. You are going to need to get the band back together because we got somebody to baptize. All right? Amen. Yay. Yay. We're going to end on a, on a high note, everybody. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't leave us like you find us. 
Thank you that there is no sin that intimidates you. Thank you that when you said on the cross it was finished, that it was. And I pray that you help us to have the strength and the wisdom and the good sense to bring you the broken, shattered pieces of our lives and lay them before you on the altar and just say, Jesus, fix me. Fix me. Lord, I just pray that you would help every one of us, men and women, young people, to walk in sexual integrity all the days of our lives, that we would shield ourselves and hide our eyes from the things that would distract us and tempt us. Lord, that we would put ourselves in the correct position to be able to walk out our faith and to do the things that we know we need to do. God, I pray that you provide for these weddings. Lord, I pray that you bring people in who are ready to surrender themselves. Lord, I pray for every person who may need personal support and help or prayer, though that they would feel comfortable reaching out and contacting me or some other member of the body of Christ so that we can together walk towards complete and total surrender in every area of our lives. Lord, raise this church up as a beacon of hope where you can come in and you can meet the real Jesus who will change everything about your life. Lord, may this be the place, like the woman at the well said, when she ran into the city and said, come meet a man who told me everything I had ever done. I pray that people have that experience here and that you change and transform this city and this region for your honor and glory. Lord, bless each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. And those who are not followers of Jesus, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them into right relationship with you. Lord, thank you for Lily. And thank you that we have a new sister today. And thank you, Lord, I hope the party isn't over in heaven because we just got out of church and we're ready to join you. So, Lord, I just pray that you're glorified by our celebration of her new life today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.